0: Well, good morning. Let's see, I have to be calculated here not to give people a crick in the neck. How's that, all right? Is that all right? You're not complaining. Well, okay. As I was debating using a story to introduce uh, the subject matter today. And after debating, I decided not to because it 'll distract you you 'll be stuck on that for the rest of the service, and that won 't do us any good so let me uh, let me just tell you a little story and uh, if you 're wanting to follow along in your Bible this morning, there are a few Bibles if you don 't own one, you can take one of these home, okay. That's why we have them there. And our page is 569. That's the text that we're in again, because I promised you we would be in it for a bit. So some of you may know the story of uh, an elephant going across a suspension bridge. See? Then you don't know it. And uh, the elephant's going across the suspension bridge, and there's a fly riding on his back. And the bridge is... rumbling because of the weight of the elephant as he goes across the bridge. And when they get to the other side, the fly says to the elephant, man, we really made that shake. (laughs) And uh, what's your reaction to that? (laughs) Man, we really made that bridge shake. Well... um, that might give you a hint as to what the H word is. It's not happiness. It's humility, which the fly definitely didn't have. All right. So, In fact, we would say he kind of had a fat head, really. And uh, that would be a description of him. The H word. Philippians is talking all about that. And uh, this especially, this famous passage that we spent time on last week, Surrounding the Lord's table, the kenosis passage, the emptying, the modeling that Jesus did for us, manifesting the very nature of God, his servanthood, that's part of his nature and uh, willing to take a lower rank. Last week I closed my message with this text, let's just look at it again if we could for a second. Jesus is speaking to his disciples at the last supper, remember? Remember? And uh, he had taken off his uh, outer garment. He had wrapped himself in a towel. He had, in fact, this is one. Of, this is part of our logo as a church: the towel and the basin. And he's washing his disciples' feet. And so he says this: when he had washed their, uh, their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he says, "Do you know what I've done to you?" And they all said, "Yes, you washed our feet." No, there's more to it than that, right? So, everybody okay today? Did you get enough coffee? I'm not sure. Are you all here? Okay, just checking. You know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. What is he demonstrating here? What is he saying that he wants them to get? Is that they start a foot washing ritual in the church? That's how some people interpreted it, and some still do. Oh, we should do that. That proves that I'm humble. That proves you know how to act out a certain thing. Doesn't prove that you're humble. What Jesus is trying to get through to his disciples, which, by the way, all during the three or four years he was dealing with his disciples, he had a little trouble with them getting this kind of stuff. You may have noticed that. They had a little trouble. He's trying to get this concept of humility into their DNA. If I, who am God Almighty, actually, the Messiah, but I'm also your teacher and Lord, I'm the rabbi. Do you know what the word rabbi means, the Hebrew? Great one, Rav. We used to call our Hebrew professor Rav Alden. Great one Alden, that was his name. He's with Jesus now, he knows better. But anyway, the point is, the great one, and so... If I'm the great one, if I'm the teacher, and I'm getting down and doing the job that a common slave does in your household, what kind of a mentality? And it's not rubbing me. I'm not like going, oh, this is so embarrassing, it's so humiliating that I have to do this. That wasn't his response. That's what he's trying to get down into their shoe leather, if you will. Sometimes the negative can help us see it, right? Right? Let me let me get rid of that. The negative Uh, words that describe the opposite. Think of some of these words. Could have been the H word. Could have been hubris. Anybody ever heard of that word? Nice Latin word for profound arrogance. That's the only word for it. Hubris. H u b r i s. Haughtiness. Hauteur. That could be that. That's the opposite. Oh, arrogance, brazenness, egotism, vanity, snobbery, exclusiveness, superiority, conceit, fill in the blanks. Are we feeling edified yet this morning? (laughs) I got some of that. I'm doing what the pastor said. (laughs) I think you're missing it. Okay. That's the opposite. Inordinate self-esteem. Inordinate self-esteem. I'm going to try to stay on task. My ADD wants to kick in so bad at this point (laughs) because we're in a culture of inordinate self-esteem. We've been working at it for 20 years. We've been grilling it into our kids. There's a proper self-esteem, friends. We'll we'll get to some of that. But this is humility. Um, Synonyms, meekness, modesty, Lowliness. In fact, you know where the word comes from. Anybody know the word humus? Latin. What is humus? Dirt. It's dirt. It's being low in the dirt. That's the picture. That's where the word, the root of it, comes from. Being lowly. I'm. I'm. I'm not thinking higher of myself than I ought to. Lowly. Deference. That's where the concept of humility. Uh, comes from, that word, that's where it comes from. So, two years ago, I know you were all still in shock, uh, not only because of our history, but because I showed up. You were in shock, so you don't remember a lot of what I said back then. (laughs) But I almost used this title again this morning. It's a title called Appropriate Smallness. Does anybody remember that? It's from a book by John Ortberg called The Life You've Always Wanted or maybe the life you've, you're thinking about wanting. I don't know. You're all looking at me like, we don't know what to make of you today. <laughs> Neither do I, so welcome to the club. Let me just read a couple of things from um, Appropriate Smallness, his reference to the pursuit of, which a healthy disciple will, pursue humility. It's awfully hard to know about this, isn't it? Because once you think you've got it, you're in real trouble somebody in our prayer time this morning i'm the most humble guy i know you know it was a joke it was a joke okay it was a joke (laughs) everybody relax (laughs) but you definitely know what it looks like when people don't have it would you agree mostly mostly that confusing thing called humility if i may read just for just for fun where once pride was recognized as a fatal flaw. In our day, it's one of the seven deadly sins. Anybody remember that kind of language? Seven deadly sins? What what are they even? Anyway, once considered a fatal flaw. In our day, it comes close to being celebrated. We live in what Christopher Lash has called the culture of narcissism. Muhammad Ali's signature line expressed... The quest of the rest of us. I am the greatest. Hello? Okay. Boxing promoter Don King was quoted in the Los Angeles Times as saying, I never cease to amaze my own self. (laughs) That's one of my favorite lines from Star Wars, by the way. Remember... Han Solo, they get away from an attack and he says, Sometimes I never, sometimes I amaze myself. And Princess Leia says, That shouldn't be hard. (laughs) I love that line, so I'll say it to my wife and she answers, That shouldn't be hard. (laughs) Sometimes I never cease to amaze my own self, he said, and then added, I say that humbly. (laughs) Ortberg asks, How would that come out if he were to say it with pride? I mean, (laughs) see, isn't this fun? I mean, really, you need to learn to laugh at yourself, don't you? Don't take yourself. I love uh, Charles Swindoll. Best thing I ever learned from him, and he ministered to me deeply at some really dark places. But he said one time, "Quit taking yourself so seriously." I went, "You are so right." What does it mean to humble myself? In place of pride, Jesus invites us into a life of humility. All who humble themselves will be exalted. But we have become badly confused about humility. We know we ought to become humble, but we're not sure it is all that desirable, especially today. We're not even sure what a humble person is like. What does it mean to be humbling yourself in every day? Let's say we take this seriously. This is kind of one more fun thing. Someone compliments us on the way we look. We are. Try- By the way, this convicts me. So don't even talk to me after this. All right? Someone compliments us on the way we look. We're trying to live in God's kingdom and respond as Jesus would if He were in our place. What do we do? We look down, shuffle our feet, and say, "I'm not really attractive. It's just that the light in here is pretty dim." No, we should boldly speak the truth by saying, I'm terribly interested in what you say. Tell me more, and let us celebrate this good news together. (laughs) In one place, he said, if you wear spandex to the gym or have ever worn spandex, you probably struggle with vanity. But anyway, that was his thing. It's just a joke. He's got, it's not a struggle for you. I don't want to see it. Anyway, <laughs> that was good. Proverbs, Not at all. I'm glad they're with me. The coffee finally kicked in. Proverbs 11, quote Proverbs 11, 22, in order to correct the other person's superficial focus on physical appearance. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without good sense. This will pretty much remove any problem of receiving too many compliments. <laughs> be direct and to the point. You're giving me a swelled head. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> or maybe we should just smile and say thank you and be quiet. I'm still working on that one. Humility is not about convincing ourselves or others that we are unattractive or incompetent. It's not about beating ourselves up or trying to make ourselves nothing. In fact, some of that is purposely trying to make myself look humble. If God wanted to make us nothing, how hard is that? Humility has to do with submitted willingness. It involves healthy self-forgetfulness. We will know we have begun to make progress in humility when we find that we get so enabled by the Holy Spirit to live in the moment we cease to be preoccupied with ourselves one way or the other. Humility, if we could ever grow into it, would not be a burden. It would be an immense gift. Humility is the freedom to stop trying to be what we're not, pretending to be what we're not, and accepting our appropriate smallness. Don't you think that's worth reading, a book like that? When I read people like that, I get convicted, but I never feel condemned and beaten to death. I feel like it speaks life to me. It's not about false humility, I could go crazy sometimes. Oh, you did a great job. Oh, no, no, no. It was all God. That's funny. I was sure I saw you in the room doing that. It was all God. It reminded me of this nutcase I saw on, on PBS one time. Years ago, they were interviewing some of these weird cult groups, you know, like snake handlers and stuff like that. By the way, if you think that's normal Christianity, come talk to me later. It is not healthy, okay? I got a snake here. Jesus said. I'm going to... Anyway. You need to get out more. Anyway. So they, they were interviewing these people about their faith and this woman is talking to the uh, interviewer and he's, she's on video and they're talking about it and all of a sudden in the middle of her conversation she starts going like this. Oh, 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 you, oh, you see that? That's not me. That's Jesus. That's your, Really? Uh, in case you're wondering, I don't think so. Jesus wasn't in the room lifting her hands up. Sorry. He's using people, real people. He works through real people. And it's okay to say, thank God he used me in that. It's okay. It's a good thing. So, it also is in selfishness and image management, which we're so consumed with today. Image management. That's why all the fighting and defriending on Facebook and everything else, because you didn't suck up to my image. You kind of tarnished it. You ticked me off, which is very easy. It's the opposite of Jesus, who was willing to be put to death, as I mentioned last week, as a criminal. It wasn't just dying for a sin, it wasn't like it was this antiseptic, sterile um, hospital operation. We're going to take the life of this perfect, holy man. We're going to do it as gently as we possibly can so that his blood will pay for the sins of mankind. How did it go down? It was terrible. It was unjust. It was a criminal act. It was not, in fi- it was not under the law of Rome. It was a violation of the law of Rome. He's put to death as a common criminal, but he's not afraid to be misunderstood or thought badly. It doesn't matter. I've got to get the job done. I've got to honor my father that's in heaven and rescue the people he has his heart set on. He chose the lower status. In fact, this is exactly what um, Philippians says. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, no matter how people thought. They looked at him and said, a loser, a loser. Didn't matter what they thought. By the way, some of us are like, I don't care what anybody thinks. That's not necessarily humility either. It's probably on the opposite end. I shouldn't be crippled by what people think, but I also shouldn't have that attitude that says they can all go to blazes. One day Jesus was um, invited with some of his disciples to go to a dinner in a very churchy family's home. You know what I mean by that? Back then they were called synagogues. And uh, the very churchy, spiritual people were called Pharisees. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. I'm just being blunt. They're the churchy people. They had all the rules. They understood all of that stuff. They had people coming in. And here's what happened. Jesus comes into the room. He's watching people jockey. Anybody know what I mean? They're jockeying. Let's see. Who's the cool person here? You know, Anybody ever go to a party and, you know? God forbid she wears the same dress you're wearing. You know what I'm saying? They're jockeying. So here's what happens. He began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, now listen, he's not talking to his disciples. Read it again. He's speaking to the invited guests. His disciples may be sprinkled in there, but are you following? It's like, It's an after synagogue event. Everybody's going to so-and-so's house, you know, and we're all hanging out, and he's watching these guys from the synagogue. You know, one was the reader, one was the guy that carries the Torah. They all have important spots, so of course, naturally, I should sit at the better part at the table, blah, blah, blah. So he says to them, hey, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't take the place of honor lest after you sit down, someone more distinguished than you may be invited by your master, the guy who's rowing the party, and he who invited you both shall come and say to you, give place to this man. You're in the wrong seat. Don't you hate when that happens? You're in the wrong seat. Oh, by the way, if you think you own any of the seats in here, you're wrong. When we have guests, make room for guests. (laughs) That was an aside. That was free. Okay, so working against me here. Okay. Give place to this man and then in disgrace. Yeah, now you're embarrassed. Oh, shucks. I wasn't as important as I thought I was. Now I got to go sit over here. Then you have to end up occupying the last place. Get this. He goes on. What, What happened? I went backwards. That's what's wrong. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place So that when one who has been invited you comes, he may say to you, oh, hey, hey, wait, I didn't want you to sit there. Come and move up higher and then you'll have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled. He who humbles himself shall be exalted. Could it be any more plain? Hey, get this. He's actually giving a hint. Why don't you fake it? (laughs) Do you get the sarcasm in this? This is, this is an instruction like, do this. You want to look good? Here's how to look good. That's how we read it. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, so if I act humble, then I may get exalted. Ooh, you're missing the point. It's sarcasm. Hey, he's telling these people, hey, listen, you guys, why don't you fake it? Fake like you got some humility. It'll work to your advantage. You want to manage your image? This will help you. Sit in the last place. If you get bumped up, then you look cool. And I can just see them going, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, then they're mad. <laughs> Try faking it at least. It almost sounds like Jesus is appealing to their flesh, and he kind of is taking a shot at it. It's an appeal to their flesh. What does he want? What does he really want? Does he want them to learn tricks? No. He wants humility, and his disciples are eavesdropping on this whole thing. He wants them to get it down into their DNA that they're not all that and a bag of chips, that they're not all that important, that the fact that you were slighted is no big deal. Get over it. You know, I've been reading this International Justice Mission book you gave me. How annoying. And uh, I'm reading this story of how this guy got sucked in. And I read that stuff and I go, boy, are we inane. Real issues of life. And we're bent out of shape because somebody snubbed me. I'm like, good night, am I pathetic. So there's a positive view. There's a negative view that helps us see what it shouldn't be like. And then there's the positive view. And what I'm talking about now is something called gospel humility. I think I learned this word, and I don't know if it's original with him. I doubt it. But it was Terry Geiger who I was interviewing executive pastors around the country. And he was back a ways, a guy named Tim Kellers, executive pastor, if you've ever heard of him. We connected because this concept that he used this phrase, gospel humility, was so vivid in my head, it riveted into my vocabulary. I've used it ever since. What is involved In gospel humility, that is true bona fide good healthy humility. Not thinking more of myself than I ought to, not thinking less either. A healthy self-assessment. And here's one of the statements that I think will help flesh out what gospel humility looks like. It means being in touch with my own depravity. Being in touch with my own depravity. I'm telling you, what I'm preaching on this morning is the most important thing I will ever preach on in this church, ever. And I won't stop. I'm back. Because the lack of this is what disqualifies ministers, marginalizes churches, and completely shames Members. It's what makes us look like morons in the world. Full of ourselves, not in touch with our own depravity, so self-satisfied and missing it. Years ago, I encountered a wonderful little track. If you like being convicted, it's wonderful. If you don't like being convicted, then you probably don't want to read it. It was called, Not to be Ministered Unto. Now they've remodeled it. It's called Not to be Served. I feel like titles like that. Sometimes the old ones work better. Not to be ministered unto. Here's the quote Mark chapter 10, verse 45 Even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You know where this came up? Let me just give you the intro. The incident that gave rise to these words is a sad one. Two of the disciples, James and John, wanted to be ministered unto by being granted places in heaven at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus. Now their, their mother put them up to it. Oy vey. But anyway, that's what happened. Now get this. Here's what, what occurred. So they come and say, my mom has a request Can you let us, when we get to heaven, because we know we're going to get there, I want to be on your right hand, and I want to be on your left hand. And you know, Jesus said, that's not even up to me yet. Wait till we get there. But what else happened? Immediately, the rest of the disciples were miffed. Well, of all the nerve, why were they miffed? Because I want that seat, secretly. Or how gauche that they, that they actually asked Jesus that question. Do you get the point? They're both idiots. Both sides are missing it. Evidently, this is something which closely concerns us all if we are just Jesus' disciples. It tells us something of what spirit we should have and what our life ought to be today and every day. He was trying to instruct them, you're not that central, why don't you learn to serve one another, and that is the distinguishing mark of my disciples, being lowly like Jesus was. Not faking it, not trying to impress people, but genuinely, you're first and I'm last after this. So he makes a couple of comments. The desire to be ministered unto is at the bottom of disagreements in the nursery, fights in the school... Well, it sounds relevant. <laughs> Disagreements in the nursery, fights in the school, quarrels amongst private individuals, wars among nations. And alas, not only in the world is this spirit prevalent, but in the church also. As Christians, do we we do not adequately realize, perhaps we hardly realize at all, how much of sin and failure, how much of vexation and discontent, how much of peevishness and irritability irritability, how much of discord and unhappiness in our lives is due to our desire to be ministered unto instead of coming not to be ministered unto. Are we not too often cross-vexed, rasped, indignant? Sometimes we show it by a foolish exhibition of temper. Sometimes we restrain ourselves, but there's the nasty feeling. And why? in all probability, because we want to be ministered unto, and we have been disappointed. The fact is we are always wanting to be ministered unto by people, by circumstances, by fortune, by the weather, by something to be ministered unto is so natural, so necessary, so proper. We have been brought up to expect it. And if we are thwarted, as we often are... By the way, thwarting is from God. Ooh. I know from great experience. (laughs) Are you listening yet? Yeah, yeah. And if we are thwarted, as we often are, we are apt to get cross, sulky, moody, nervous, and perhaps end by making ourselves miserable and others too. How different it would be if like the Son of Man, we always came not to be ministered unto. Well, I know I've been reading for a bit. I'm only going to read two more little paragraphs of this, okay? Because they illustrate it. He's got a little paragraph, sections marked. Are you slighted? Are you jealous? Not right to ignore me. Not praised. Not consulted. You're a public speaker about your work, about play, Christian service. Oy, take me four hours to get through all of that. So let me just read a couple. Are you slighted? You're slighted, ignored, brushed aside. Your employer, your employee doesn't show you the proper consideration. Your neighbor doesn't treat you with the respect that is due you to your position, your abilities, your character. You feel it very much. In fact, you're upset about it. Why? Is it because you came to minister and were deprived of the privilege? No, not at all. It's because your feelings, your rights, your gifts, your position, your dignity, your importance were not recognized. You were not ministered unto. You came to be ministered unto. Hence the storm or consider that most hateful thing jealousy what is it another is praised or put before you another is better than you another is more fortunate in, than you the honor the success the money the popularity the reward has gone to him you wanted it for yourself you came to be ministered unto him because he has been ministered unto and not you you are jealous See, anybody connecting any dots here I'm just babbling to myself I get that first one about being discarded or disrespected or whatever, and I have to c- confess conviction. Yikes. So who are you, big shot? You know, okay. I'm talking to me. So, so, you talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to me. Another word of caution. Again, our text does not say we're not to be ministered unto. That's not what it's saying. It doesn't say it's wrong doesn't mean it isn't a good thing. doesn't say that we're always to be slighted, never courted, never to meet with success, no reward, no prizes, or ever to come our way. That's not what it says. Nothing of the kind. That we're supposed to look for injustice and insults? No. That's not what he's saying. But when it does happen, we've lingered long talking about this, the wish to be ministered unto, because it is so prevalent, its consequences are so sad, and chiefly, listen, because so many of us who are habitually guilty are unconscious of the fact. We don't even see it. The opposite of gospel humility, wanting to be ministered unto. Anybody ever read um, My Utmost for His Highest? Oswald Chambers? Have you ever been alone with God? One of the questions here. January 12th. We have to get rid of the idea that we understand ourselves. That is always the last bit of pride to go. The only one who understands us is God. The great curse in our spiritual life is pride. If we have ever had a glimpse of what we are like in the sight of God, we will never say, Oh, I'm so unworthy we will understand that that goes without saying. Duh! But as long as there's any doubt about the fact that we're unwilling, God will continue to close us in until he gets us alone. Whenever there's any element of pride or conceit remaining, Jesus can't teach us anything. There's our problem. We think we're pretty good. That's when I start losing the lessons. They slip through my fingers. I'm not even aware that I'm missing it, right? Here's an interesting little segue. I was pondering this. Isn't it fascinating that right after this account of Jesus giving his life and taking the low slot, if you will, comes this verse? So then, my beloved, just as you have always what? Huh? Huh? not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling just as you have always obeyed. Isn't that interesting? It's a crucial part of gospel humility, almost, if you will, a litmus test of whether my humility is real or not because I see what the scripture says and I go, oh boy, I better get that in gear. I better try to get that into my DNA. Gordon Fee, who I really appreciate in the New International Commentary on the New Testament, I really like him because he's brilliant, he's a scholar, and he also comes from a more, uh, I'm going to use this word, charismatic background, where he's he sees in the scripture more of the spiritual stuff rather than a sterile interpretation. If you've read some commentaries, you may find that they can be pretty sterile. He says this about that verse. As in his letter to the Romans makes clear, Paul... To Paul, faith in Christ is ultimately expressed as obedience to Christ, not in the sense of following rules, listen to this, but coming totally under his lordship, being devoted completely to him. This is the only obedience to his words that Paul cares anything about. Anybody hearing me? When I say, here's what the scripture says, if I don't know what it says, I'll tell you I don't know what it says. But if I am telling you this is what it says, my concern for you is not that you listen to me, but that you listen to God because I'm presenting what he's telling you. Does that make sense? So, this obedience is an interesting, interesting segue, a marker of putting myself under authority. In fact, I didn't leave you a spot to fill in in your notes, but there's a word here: obedient is hupakas. Here's an interesting thing: there is a word for obeying, which is like military. Order yourself under an authority. This is not that word. This word, where it says hupakas, is the word is hearing and hyperhearing, if you will. Hupo, hyper, hypodermic needle, all of that, and listening. It's good listening, right? Any of you parents ever had to say, Are you listening to me? Why do you say that? Because apparently they're not listening to you, right? Yeah. Because there's listening like, Yeah, I heard you. Or there's listening where I'm doing that. That's the kind of, a, it's good listening. Oh boy, let's get really nasty here. Can I get nasty? Too late you didn't cut me off at the pass i'm just going to be blunt i'll tell you something i see i see what i believe is a lot of trust in false gospel that i can accept christ he loves me forgives me all of that is true but that i'm under no obligation or when i feel like and finally get motivated and make up my mind to do something i'll start obeying i'll speak into stuff yeah let me think about it. Nothing changes. It's like it's like. So where's God in this? Let me let me um, challenge us with a passage. Hebrews. During the days of his life, Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of what? Reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned what? Same word. Same word, good listening. Through the experience of life and suffering on earth, the Son of God experienced and learned how to listen good and obey. And we're supposed to be His followers. If the Son of God had to learn obedience, fill in the blanks. Fill in the blanks. He experienced it in practice because of good listening. Well, I had some other things I wanted to say, but I'm going to skip over them. I am honest. Boom, 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 boom. No, oh, no, you can't read that. No, because I want to end with this particular passage, which a few weeks ago, where'd Vince go? You're out here somewhere. Vince, why are you in the back? I I took a shower. <laughs> Vince came up to me and asked, explain what this story is about. It's a great little story. Jesus is trying to instruct people. He's trying to help them enter into some of this gospel humility to say, what what does it mean when I become a Christian? I was going the wrong way. I wake up, I go, I'm done with that. I'm going to start going this way. Do I do it perfectly? No. Do I stumble? Yes. Do I need forgiveness? Of course. But my heart intention is to stop going that way and go this way. So Jesus is instructing one day and he says this. Well, what do you think? A man had two sons. He came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will, sir. False humility. He looked good, didn't he? Yes, sir. I'll do it. And he didn't go. He came to the second and said the same thing. But he answered and said, no way. (laughs) That's what it says. No way. Yet, afterward, he regretted it and went, which of the two did the will of his father? And the people who were listening got it right. The latter. The second guy. Oh, he was obnoxious. He wasn't very humble on the surface. But ultimately, he turned around and said, boy, I'm wrong, and I'm going to go in that direction. Which one was walking ultimately in gospel humility. Uh, there's no way anybody in this room could possibly escape something that I said today. <laughs> there's no way, unless you're in a coma. I don't know what issue you have to deal with. I've had to deal with issues. I just have a few words of encouragement for us as an assembly What I see, one is examine yourself to see if you're believing a false gospel of easy believism. Jesus loves me, forgives me. Yeah, that's all true. But am I intentional about following him? Am I teachable? Am I fat? Remember that? Faithful, available, teachable. That's what we should be. I interacted with somebody in the last couple of weeks about something, and They said this to me, well, you're right about everything. I felt that was maybe not totally fair, but you know what? I said to myself, self, you must have come across like that. And I don't think that represents Jesus very well either. So I apologize if I've come across. There are things I absolutely know in my DNA, and I'll try to be truthful about it, but if I don't know I'm gonna tell you, by the way, I don't know everything. Almost everything, but not everything. That's a joke, that was a joke. Don't rebuke me on jokes, I'm not taking it. Are you hearing me? No optional obedience. It's one of our problems here. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. It makes me crazy. Number two. Our church is starting to correct itself it 's like a ship that's listing hard to starboard it's starting to come up don't run ahead of God. the way i've been describing it to people is you know what it 's like when you have two bags of groceries in your back seat of your car and you're going to take a turn you got it and um, and see the bags because God is. I'll explain that. The bags are leaning. They're not over. When you make the full turn, you've turned a corner, which is a good thing. The bags go flying. This is one illustration that's negative, but it's positive. If my groceries go over, I'm gonna be thrilled. The church, groceries go over. Get what I'm saying? We think because new people are coming, some people have come to faith, the money's a little better, we're out of the woods, you're deceiving yourselves. That doesn't mean a thing. Putting your trust in the wrong thing. What's going to break through is when we embrace this gospel humility. Let me explain what I mean. Because we've started to turn sacks or leaning. I told you at the solemn assembly, I have said it since. We're not done with that solemn assembly. You have to have that in your spirit all the time. When you're strutting around thinking, we got a great church now, and somebody's leaning in and saying, yeah, but this happened to me when I was there years ago, to say, well, that's your problem is not right. We need to take the low road and say, we're still in recovery. We're still moving in the right direction. We're still asking for grace because we've had lots of boo-boos. I'm saying it nicely. There's other words. Lots of stuff you can step in. And we need God's grace and mercy to heal us up all the way. And think of how many people are out there that once we're connected to this assembly and are out far from God today. Do we own any of that? Am am I making sense? I'm very concerned about this because here's what I feel like. We're in a lifeboat and some of us are drilling holes in the bottom. Deflate your chest. Start walking in gospel humility. If I sound like I know it all, I apologize, because I don't. And I can't change anybody's mind. I can't change their spirit. Only God can do that. And that's what I'm desperate to see. Yes. And it's so much fun to see normal Christians, people who come into the faith, new new believers, asking all kinds of questions, just tell me which way to go. And I'm like, woo that's so cool and then people who ought to know better who I can't tell anything help us Jesus let's stand together as we close if you need to pray this morning I'd ask that everyone that's leaving kind of talk out in the foyer if you need to come pray do that my expectation level's kind of low frankly I'm waiting on God just telling you what I think Let's pray. Everything that we've said to you today in song is true. You're the great God. Thank you that you love us. Thank you, God, that we are invited into a love relationship with you. Thank you that you're working with us. I always say, my wife and I, I guess the ladies just had a tea about this, while there's life, there's hope. And we want to grab a hold of that lifeline with the anchor inside the veil and hang on with both hands with all our might and pull us into your glory. Holy Spirit, speak to those you need to speak to. Encourage those who are downtrodden. Make those who are uncomfortable comfortable because they're uncomfortable for the wrong reasons. Make those who are comfortable uncomfortable because they're comfortable for the wrong reasons. Put up with me. Put up with my brothers and sisters. Bless us, we pray, with illumination. There's something about that spirit of Jesus that just breaks down every barrier and non-believers said, I want want to know this guy. And Lord, we want to be like that. Can you help us, please? Help us today. In the great name of Jesus, we pray and all of God's people said, amen amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day. If you need to talk, I'm here. You need to pray, make use of the front rows.